Hello and welcome to Cage Fighting. Andy Gillard here. Hope you're all keeping safe. Matt Guy here. How are we all doing this evening? Stu here. Hello. And with us, we have a, a our first ever guest, Mr. David Evans. Dave, how Hello. are you doing? Yeah, long time listener, first time guest. How many, how many years have you waited to say that line? Very loads. I think I realise today this is the first time I've ever been a guest on a podcast. Yeah. So I'm I'm, I'm really happy to get show. my yeah I'm happy to get my unfiltered views out there finally. <laughs> ah. Yeah. So it makes yeah. a change that I'm the one who has to rein you in rather than yes. the other way around. <laughs> so get ready, Andy, because yeah. it's gonna be explosive. Yeah. See bombs okay. all around again. Yep. Some of it might be unsalvageable. You never know. <laughs> <laughs> So, Dave, when we get guests on, we've decided we're going to ask three questions. I don't know where we've got this format from. No, but, it's uh, a new uh, format, that sounds like. Yeah. So the first question is, what is your favourite Nick Cage performance or film? Um, well, you did it on the show a few weeks ago, and I was really glad that when you did it. Face Off, for me, clearly my favourite Nicolas Cage film. I remember when I saw it as a kind of kid, early teenager, and thought this was like a fantastic film, fantastic format. And then when you get older, you watch it again, you think, what? They just hang on. They take their faces off, but their body for you know, their body mass doesn't change. How how have they done that? <laughs> that doesn't make sense. So you watch it again, you think, what the hell? But what I liked about Nicholas Cage in that film is that the first half is this kind of greasy, slimy pervert. I always remember that scene at the start when he's talking to that schoolgirl. And then mm. grabs her at the start, you're like, oh. But then halfway through, when he obviously changed into John Travolta's character, he, there's almost this completely other side to him, this kind of sweet, caring side about him. And I think it, I thought he portrayed that better than John Travolta did in the film, that switch around. Yeah. And I just thought, especially acting at the first half, oh, it just, when you think about what some stuff he does, and you're like, oh. Yeah, but yeah, that's my, clearly my favourite Nick Cage film. Great choice, to be fair. Uh, when you go to the cinema, is it sweet or salted popcorn, or preferably no popcorn? <laughs> My go-to choice for food is nachos and cheese. And I went through a phase where I had to keep going to an Odeon because the Cineworld version was horrible. I don't know what it is. It's too sweet at Cineworld, where at uh, Odeon it's the right melted cheese. Uh, so that's my go-to and it's all it's all the cheese as well it's not oh do you want a salsa it's three cheeses with the you know i'm dunking all those nachos <laughs> in all that cheese um and if i have to go for popcorn it's sweet all the yes. time who's who who's having salt salty all day come yeah, on yeah i i prefer nothing because i don't like the noise but if i had to it would be salted no. Ima- imagine if you've watched a rom-com and how you taste to the lady later on. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> Christ. It's, it's the new smoke. You've been smoking. Have you had salt popcorn? No, well, go nowhere near me, love. <laughs> and the final one. If you could watch only one film for the rest of your life, what film would you watch? Well, this is so difficult. And you'll understand a bit more later on when you talk about a top five topic you've got on. But I had to go with Back to the Future. It's just my all-time favourite film. It's just one of those kind of classic adventure films. I can't describe it. I mean, 
one of my favourite films, scenes from it, which always gives me goosebumps every time I watch it, is when Martin McFly is at the dance and he does Go Johnny Go and he does that guitar solo mm. and you can see he's in his element. You can see he's finally been able to do what he wanted to do at the start of the film. And you almost like imagine yourself doing that. It's that kind of one of those moments where you feel like you own the world and you kick ass. Um, I just love everything about it. Every, everything. It's just a classic kind of tea time adventure film. Mm. Um, I always say it's one of those films where you go on an adventure and you're back in time for tea as a kid. Uh, but yeah, Back to the Future, definitely the first one. My favourite. I'll watch that any day of the week. Yeah, I, I knew you were either going to say that or Avengers Assemble. It was between those two I'd, I'd put my money yeah. on for you. Yeah, You'll see well, what I mean later on then, because it might not have okay. been. Okay. I would oh, have okay. asked, I would have put my house on him saying Jurassic Park. Mm. Ooh, yeah. I don't think that's got You'll the see. rewatchability of a, a Back to the Future though, but oh, yeah, yeah. good answers all round, I think. So first off, let's just quickly get the business out of the way. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss an episode. If you've got a spare 30 seconds, just drop us a five-star review. It helps with the algorithms and it just means we can grow. If you've got any questions you want answering or want to take us to task on any of the answers that we've got coming up, it's at CageFightingPod on Twitter or CageFightingPod at gmail.com on the emails. So there's only really been one headline in the news recently, and that's been the devastating loss of Chadwick Boseman. He passed away after a battle with cancer. Whilst most famous for his role as King T'Challa, he managed to transcend that character and he became a beacon of hope for millions. And I would just say, if you've got five minutes, if you haven't seen the clip of him on the Jimmy Fallon show where he's surprising people from behind the curtain, it's the most incredible, heartbreaking and heartwarming thing you will ever see. I don't know what much more to say other than just terrible news, really, but... At least he's left a very strong body of work for for people to enjoy for forever and a day. Now, I mean, you you've seen him in the um, the uh, the latest the the thing on Netflix. I've just completely lost my <laughs> the five bloods. the five bloods. Yeah, yeah you've yeah. seen him in that. So is he as excellent in that as everything else? Yeah, I, I watched um, Get On Up the weekend where he played uh, James Brown. Yeah. And like you oh, don't cool. see Chadwick Boseman, you see James Brown. It's just an f- incredible performance. And every film he's done, he's one of those actors that you don't see the man, you see the character. And I just think tremendous, uh, a real, real devastating loss. Yeah. I wasn't sorry. I wasn't really aware of his back catalogue before Black Panther. So it's quite interesting mm. when you go back and see the films he's done. I'd watched 21 Bridges a few weeks ago. I don't know if anyone else has watched that one. Not yet. Kind of cop film. That's quite good. He's really good in that one. That's got a good, some good twists and turns. But I was listening to something else the other day when they were talking about his death. And what I didn't realise has struck me, they, they talk about all the films he'd done while he was still dealing with, with his colon cancer. And if you think about it, especially for a superhero film and a non-superhero film where he was going in between each kind of film, he's got a bulk up and mm. he's got a debulk. And he's doing all that while he's fighting cancer, he's having chemotherapy, he's having surgery. That's an incredible commitment to do all that, have to do all that changing of your body and having to deal with what your body's dealing with at the moment. So it just shows you how much he was not only committed to the craft, but he wanted to just prove that it's something that couldn't stop him, that he wanted to achieve his goals and he could keep going and doing what he wanted to do. Yeah, Yeah, that would... 
And so that was that was why it was such a shock because he had done this all with, with having chemo and having cancer and, mm. and being so excellent. It was that's what I mean, that's what hit me because I had no clue. On our, well, no one did, did they? But it was it was one of them. It, it did hit me more than a lot of these things do. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I think ultimately he lived and he died on his own terms and. Yeah. That the, the dignity that that would have taken and the respect that I've got for him is just incredible. What a man. In my culture, death is not the end. It's more of a stepping off point. You reach out with both hands and bust and segment. They lead you into the green veld where you can run forever. So over the last three weeks, we've had a bit of a comic book theme on uh, cage fighting. So just to finish it off, we've got some of your top fives. Uh, myself and Stu, we both did a, a conversation. Um, I'm going to put them in now. And the first one up will be myself interviewing Ash. And then Stu will be talking to Lynn. And with me today, I've got Ashley Lees. He's a friend of mine and a listener of the podcast. So Ash, if you want to take it away and go from five to one that's great Andy thank you very much and thanks for having me on the show my number five one that you guys already discussed was 300 of 2006 um I'm not a massive Zack Snyder fan or anything but for me the main thing that I love about this film is the visuals and that kind of almost comic book sort of style they've got I don't even know what it's called but I just think it's got a really unique look to it Visually, it's just so memorable and makes it such an event. But I also like the fact that the plot is actually relatively easy to follow and it's just one of those you can just stick on on a Friday night or whatever, just kick back and relax. Um, so for me, it's just got everything you want in a good comic book movie, really. It's kind of got the fun element. It's kind of violent. It's just got a sort of epic feel to it with the visuals and the scenery and just everything that's going on. OK, number four, another one you guys discussed was 2019's Joker. OK, yeah. Uh, yeah, now, I only watched this a couple of weeks ago, so it's kind of really, really fresh in the memory, and I'm a massive sort of Whacking Phoenix fan. But for me, he just really, as, a, as an actual actor and the portrayal of the Joker, he just, for me, really successfully manages to kind of integrate all like, the different elements of all the Jokers who've gone on before him, which I think is a massive achievement, really. Um, but he still obviously manages to make the character his own and with all these kind of weird, creepy movements and all, and all the stuff he sort of does and the way he changes his voice and stuff, I just think it's really, really cool. I know you guys also discussed the kind of mental health aspects that are raised during the film, and I think that's a really important element of it and just kind of brings him across actually as a really sympathetic character, which is quite surprising for someone who's got such a villainous reputation, but... I think as a whole, it's just a really, really cool film. And in terms of the mental health conversation, I think it, it raises a lot of questions and perhaps makes should make people you know, think a little bit more about how we kind of treat mental health and how we kind of try to manage people. You've got this kind of issue. So I think it's really relevant in the sort of current world, really. Excellent. Yes. Number three for me. Uh, no surprises. This one's on the list. But again, another one you guys discussed, The Dark Knight, 2008 absolutely immense and to be honest with you after i listened to you guys on the show last week i kind of went back and revisited this one in particular and it's definitely the star of the trilogy although as you guys said it is an amazing trilogy in its own right the whole the whole three films together really and it's just it's just got an incredibly epic feel to it and obviously you know heath ledge has gone down in history for his portrayal of the joker and obviously, you know, the posthumous sort of Oscar awards and all the rest of it, I think just is going to make this one seem particularly famous. And 
impressive mm. for a variety of different reasons, really. But I just think the whole cast is great. The whole way it's filmed is great. The plot is fantastic. And yeah, I don't know. There's probably not a lot more that I can say that you guys haven't already said. But yeah, <laughs> great, great film. Yeah. So yeah, absolutely. Okay. Number two for me, and uh, I don't think this is one you guys mentioned, is 2004's Hellboy. No, we didn't, but that, that is a very, very good film. Uh, yeah, well, this is it, isn't it? I think it's absolutely superb, and it's, it's very much one of my own personal favourites. And I'm a massive Guillermo del Toro fan anyway. Yeah, same. I, I, this is the thing, isn't it? And I just think, for me, it's just it's one of those films that the way it's shot, the story, it kind of binds this kind of comic book element together, but also with del Toro's kind of interesting kind of like fairy tales and all that kind of stuff that comes across so well in a lot of these Spanish language movies. Um, I think, you know, Ron Perlman perfectly cast as Hellboy. I think the role was kind of almost written for him. I think it's fantastic. Um, and yeah, just generally, it's just a really, really fun movie. Again, it blends the sort of violence and the humour. And again, the sort of visual look, I think for me, is really, really unusual. And just, yeah, just a great film. My number one uh, probably won't be a massive surprise to you because you know how much of a fan of this particular franchise I am. <laughs> but for me, my number one is 1990s Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Great choice. And, well, I, I like to think so. I mean, it's probably not going to be top of most people's list. And I accept for myself, it's very much a sort of nostalgic, nostalgic choice rather. But I just think, you know, as a fan of the turtles growing up back in the late 80s early 90s i was massively into the cartoon as like a lot of people were of our generation perhaps mm. but i watched the film when i was quite young and it kind of surprised me frankly scared me quite a lot it had a really dark tone to it and the turtles looked really dark and grungy and it was a lot more serious and a lot more heavy than i think perhaps it could have been and i think for me it's a much better film because of that I think generally it deals with some really heavy issues, like obviously after the attack on Wrath and then when Splinter, you know, their kind of leader and mentor is captured, you sort of see the struggle between the turtles and how they have to rely on each other as brothers. And I just think it it just makes it a lot more of a big and more credible film than perhaps really it had any right to be. And I think it's something that has been very much lost in the later incarnations of the turtles and especially the more recent ones. But just generally speaking, it, it was a movie that I just loved as a kid and I've continued to enjoy it as I've grown up. But all in all, it's a nostalgic choice, but I think, you know, the director, Steve Barron, kind of just created a movie that it kind of, it's, it's bigger and better than it almost needed to be. And for me, it's just superb. Brilliant. That's a great list, Ash. Thank you very much for your time today. Really appreciate it. Brilliant. Thank you very much for having me. Superb. Hi everyone, I'm Lindsay and I'm Stu Hall's little sister. I thought I'd give you a female's take on the top five of comic book films. And my number five is Captain America, The First Avenger. Now I absolutely love this film. It's probably one of the ones that I have seen the most out of all of them, to be fair. And it's just one of those films where it's so easy to watch and the whole aspect with the war era I don't know whether it's just me that likes that kind of thing or whether a lot of people do but I just think it was done so brilliantly for the time that it came out 
And I mean, Stu could probably laugh about it now. And my mom not understanding that there was CGI involved with Cap's transition from his scrawny little body to then coming out as a buff. Um, probably one of the reasons why I actually like the film, to be fair, is that scene. And that's the one part of the film that you'd want to watch. But yeah, the music as well through that whole film. I just loved it. Um, so yeah, that's definitely in my top and that's coming in at number five number four i've gone for joker now i saw this a couple of times when it came out in the cinema and it was just one of those films that you could not blink for a second the acting was just incredible there's no other word to describe it his portrayal of joker was just brilliant the whole mental health aspect of it uh, it was just one of those ones that you just had to watch and you just get it from the offset and it was done so well and his voice is it just it's one of them ones that stick with you um my number three i've gone for black panther now not just because of the devastating aspect of what happened recently um I just love this film. It's just one of those films that you could just have on all the time. And the humour in it, the the fight in the action, it's just got everything. And it's just one of them films that you just, you have to watch. And, and if you haven't watched it, there's something definitely wrong with you. The, um, the Wakanda bit, everything about Wakanda and the tech and the graphics, ev everything. Loved it all. Um, acting brilliant, the whole story fantastic, and yeah, could just watch it over and over and over, and I'd never get bored. Um, my number two, I've gone for Endgame. Probably a few people probably have gone for it, but it's not just the fact that he got summed all up <clears throat> in one. Um, it's one of them films that. You don't take your eyes off for a second. You're thinking about everything. Um, and obviously, having um, Captain America in my top five um, for the films, the iconic moment with Cap just assembling them all and having them all behind him, it's just one of them moments that makes your hair stand on end on the back of your neck and on your arms and you just can't not look at that screen and it's just brilliant, brilliantly done. Um my number one, and the film that I've seen the most out of everything, is The Dark Knight. I absolutely love this film. It's got everything you could possibly want in a hero film. And not just for the hero aspect of Batman, but Heath Ledger as Joker has got to be the most iconic characters in history. He is brilliant no other way to describe him and that is just my favorite character out of everyone in the comic book history and it's so dark and his portrayal is just spot on so yeah those are my top five very very difficult and very hard to narrow down but that's from my point of view Hope people agree, maybe not.
Maybe they will. Who knows? And I thought my jokes were bad. And Matt is here with some of your top fives. Yeah, so uh, a couple of uh, really interesting ones, actually. We'll start with uh, Todd, uh, Todd DeWitt, who in uh, five to one, uh, Deadpool, excellent, Hellboy, uh, Batman Beyond, Return of the Joker. I don't think that we've mentioned that yet. No, we didn't uh, talk the No, The Dark Knight and uh, Andy, your favourite Scott Pilgrim. Excellent. A man after my own heart. Exactly. Uh, a bit of a left fielder from um, Omesh Singh, who's kind of the first time we've really spoke to Omesh. So thank you for your um, your tweet. He's had uh, number five, never heard of it. So if, if you hear this, Omesh, let us know about this film. Norsica and the Valley of the Wind. Uh, we've got Logan in number four. Ghost in the Shell, number three. Uh, Batman versus Superman, Dawn of Justice, number two. If you're there, Omesh, not going to lie. Uh, and number one is Wonder Woman from Omesh, so thank you for that. Um, one from, <laughs> hopefully not last time listener, Big Tits McTight Snatch. Um, <laughs> if you can get in touch with us, Big Tits, that'd be great. Uh, number five, Deadpool. Uh, number four, Scott Pilgrim. Number five, uh, number three, sorry, Kick-Ass. Number two, The Adams Family. Interesting. Uh, and number one, uh, he's put Green Lantern jokes, Sin City, which is fair enough. Um, we didn't really give a lot of love to Sin City. I know we talked about 300, um, but we didn't give a lot of love to Sin City, which it's one of those things, I guess. I think the second In hindsight. Film, yeah, the second film was so bad, it sort of spoiled the first for me. I never watched the second one for that, re- <laughs> for that reason. Cause I'm, well, because of the same like Independence Day 2, I've never seen it and I don't really want to. Cause, uh, yeah, don't, I know don't watch the second one. Jeez. Mm. And um, finally, we've had an email um, from a, a long-suffering friend of Stu, Dean Allen, who, um, because his top five is so bat-heavy, he's given us a top ten. So his number will go from ten down to one. Uh, ten Avengers Assemble, because it's hard to deny how impressive seeing that for the first time. Kind of similar comments to you, Stu. Uh, number nine, Man of Steel, because he's a stickler for Snyder. Mm. Uh, eight, <laughs> Superman, enough said. Uh, seven, Batman versus Superman for giving us the best Batman on screen so far since Kevin Conroy. Uh, number six, The Swamp Thing, often overlooked. It's <laughs> Craven, schlock classic. Uh, and then we're into the Bat-heavy uh, films. We've got The Dark Knight Rises in number four, Batman Returns, Batman. Number two, Batman Begins. And no surprise, The Dark Knight is number one. So there's a lot of love for the Bat there. But to be fair, pretty much justified. But thank you, everybody, for your tweets and your emails is really appreciated and going forward get us your messages in and we'll get them read out wonderful thank you so we'll get on to the question portion of the question cast question one what have you been watching lately dave as our guest would you like to tell us what you've been watching lately yeah so uh last film watched was funny enough andy something that a trailer for a film we saw when we went to the Joker at the Lighthouse uh, many moons ago now, which is uh, Peanut Butter and Falcon. Ah, yes. I still haven't got uh, around to it. Is it so good? So it came up on Netflix. Really, It's a really sweet, charming film. So it's got Shia uh, Booth, uh, Dakota Fanning, and a guy called Zat, Zach Gotzagugan, if I can say that right, sorry, um, in it. So it's basically a story about a guy in, I would say he's early 20s, got Down syndrome, and he lives in a, a nursing home because there's nowhere else the state can 
put him to, to, to be cared for. And Dakota Fanning is almost like his carer. And he, he constantly re-watches this wrestling DVD from the 80s. And there's like a made up wrestler on there that's his hero, salt, salt water something. Um, and he wants to become a wrestler and go to this guy's training school. So he escapes from the nursing home in a bid to find this, travel the country to uh, to get there. And he kind of bumps into Shia Booth, who's like this kind of down, outbeat fisherman who has got no luck. And they form this kind of bond and this friendship. And Shia kind of is helping him get across the country to, to get to this wrestling school. And Dakota Fanning, as his care, is trying to find him and, and joins him along the, along the way. But what's really sweet about it is it's a film that has a message about not putting limits on people. You know, um, mm. Zach's character is constantly told he can't do certain things. And Shia is basically teaching him on this journey how we, you know, ignore people. You can easily do this, these things. And he says this to Dakota, uh, Dakota Fanning's character as well. Um, and obviously, as it's wrestling-based, there are a couple of really nice wrestling cameos in there, which I wasn't expecting. Um, but yeah, so it, it's kind of one of those films that has kind of a larger message about everybody, in a sense, saying, you know, there's no limits to what people can do. So that's really nice. Um, as a big Parks and Rex fan and Brooklyn Nine-Nine, I feel ashamed to say that I've only just started watching Community. Uh, I know, which has been on Netflix. I mm. kind of, it took me about six or seven episodes to get into it. But I love it. It's just like those kind of typical American sitcoms, 20-minute episodes that you can get right into, really get into the characters. Arbed is my new hero. He's <laughs> absolutely fantastic. I've just watched the episode where... I think I'm just a bit into series two now. I think I've just watched the episode where he tries to make a film in a film where he's basically being Jesus. Ah, yes, another one. Um, and it's just absolutely fantastic. And um, that's really good. And the other thing I wanted to mention as well is because... I mean, Stewie, in this boat, in terms of with kids, you have that moment in life where you're always constantly watching the same kind of kids' program all the time, and then you find that you're actually critiquing the kids' program. <laughs> all of a sudden, it changes. You go, "Can you believe this has happened? This person's in there." So I've got one of those, and that's a, a, a kid show on Netflix called Emily's Wonder Lab, and it's basically almost like a little throwback to like How to and stuff like that. <gasps> so she's like this scientist who basically just kid experiment, you know, science experiments. And there's a bit at the end where it gives you practical, easy stuff to do at home. The kids on it are the most annoying kids in the world. <laughs> they are obviously actors who do this thing where they do a bit to camera as a side. And like, they say, oh, yeah, this is really cool. And like, I'm watching it going, just shut up, shut up, shut up. Uh, but that's really fun. My, my eldest daughter really loves it. I think she'd like it. Um, there's a lot of things that I think we can do at home, but yeah, I saw Stu was already googling that already. No, I've just added to the list. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, honestly, it's one of those things where it's a, it reminds me of like how and how to back in the day as a kid. Um, it's been really fun to watch. So they're the three most current things I've been watching. Excellent. It's funny you say mention Community because that's on my list because I've just started rewatching that again, and I'm about I think I'm just at the end of season two. And it's the type of show where it, you can watch it for just the surface level gags or you can go as deep mm. as you want because there is so much metatextual analysis of different genres and everything it's yes it's an incredible show like it, it's far it's far and beyond most normal sitcoms there's a there's an episode i just watched where it, i forget what the episode's about but throughout the episode there's almost like a mini storyline going in the background where arbid's helping some pregnant woman I don't know if you <laughs> that, that, that comes back. Yeah, that comes so back. So that, that I really enjoyed that because I kept thinking, hang on, is that 
And then as the episodes, I just noticed, oh, that's carried on. But that's, I thought that was really clever. And I like how Arbed, again, contextualise everything in films. And there's, like you say, meta jokes in it about it. Yeah. But yeah, I'm really enjoying it. I mean, Arbed very much is one of us, let's be perfectly honest. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the other thing that I watched recently, uh, I watched The New Mutants. And all I would say is don't. Because oh, it's really? Awful. I'm really interested about it because I've heard mixed things, but I want to know whether I should. I, I, I want to watch it like Cats just to see if it's mm, what it's, is it now. For me, it makes the cardinal sin of being both boring and confusing. So I lose where I am halfway through it and I'm so bored I can't be asked to try and figure out what's going on. So you just let it go on and then it gets all big and over the top like comic book films do have a tendency to do and it spoils it at the end I think because it's it's just so over the top that it just it very much takes you out of the rest of the story which has been fairly low-key throughout mm-hmm. so yeah don't waste your time and I can't remember if I mentioned it the week before last uh, because we obviously we didn't we did our top fives last time an American pickle which is the Seth Rogen film where he plays his great great grandfather and himself uh, or a person of his age in the modern day and his great grandfather falls into a vat of pickle and wakes up in the modern day and it's a fish out of water <laughs> odd couple story it's it's quite sweet and a little bit mean in parts but i really enjoyed it and if you like seth rogan it's very much of his kind of humor so you're trying with it you'll get on with it uh, matt what have you been watching uh, so last week I went to see the 10th anniversary uh, of Inception at Cineworld IMAX. Uh, I, didn't see, I didn't see it in IMAX the first time around, um, but you know, the, the, my first trip to the cinema since lockdown had, had started, um, and in a bid to kind of get excited for Tenet, um, I really wanted to kind of get to grips with the film again. And, you know, it had been that long since I'd seen it that apart from knowing the ending and the, and the final scene, I really couldn't talk you through that film to save my life. And it was as engaging and as exciting and tense as the first time I watched it when I, I was on the edge of my seat quite literally the whole way through. It was just it was just as amazing as it gets. And I don't know if that is the cinema experience of it as well. You know, the pounding surround sound and obviously the, the huge screen, but it was just, it was just a wonderful experience to watch it again. And if you get the chance, I I imagine it's still on at the moment. Uh, Anybody listening, see it before you see Tenet, you know, do a double header on the day or something. If if you, if you've got that much Nolan in your book, really, really excellent. It was Um, on, um, I think it was Stu's recommendation or he just mentioned it in passing. Um, I've been watching uh, Life on Mars, the BBC drama, um, purely because of my newfound love, very late love in life for David Bowie. And I'd watched it before and kind of didn't didn't make a massive impression on me, but I've wa- I'm watching it again and actually really enjoying it. It's a lot better than I remembered it to be. Um, but just enjoying it for like a more nostalgia of the, that 70s scene, something I'm a bit more interested in now than I was maybe when I watched it the first time. Um, and one of my biggest loves in life, well, I say love more like a, more like a marriage, really a love and hate relationship with the TV show lost. I've started that again. <laughs> oh, um, dear. I honestly, that, that program for me was, was it is it really is, like, so that was the first show that I ever committed to on a more than one 
season basis. So weekly episodical TV for six years or whatever it was. That was the first show I'd ever done with that. Um, and that I, I just, it, it just for me, I don't, I don't care how it ended. I don't care when the writer's strike came in. It was absolutely shit. I, I just, again, it's like a, it's like an, an abusive partner. I'll keep going back to it, unfortunately. <laughs> well, the, the, um, thing we, the thing we lost is, I'm going to jump in on it because I, I loved it as much as you did. And Mark's rewatched it as well from start to finish in the last few years. I've never gone back to it because I loved it so much the first time. But like you said, how episodic it was. Every week, I'd watch the episode, and then I'd go on 4815162342.com and look at all the, the the new theories every single week, and I'll be on there. That was bookmarked at the top of my uh, Internet Explorer, or no, Mozilla Firefox browser at the time. Well, this and, is the thing we've lost. Like, on my, I've got a really cringeworthy, never worn it to the Gifford, and I really should, denim sleeve, like, cut-off jacket sleeve no sleeves on with loads of band patches on the back like a proper rocker but Next at the top week. of that i've got the, i've got the dharma logo patch right at the very top <laughs> of my jacket um yeah i'll wear it next week then no problem it was yes. it was one of those programs wasn't it, that kind of set the motion in terms of the netflix style binge mm-hmm. binge yeah, watching yeah. It, it had that cliffhanger at the end of every episode that made you want more. And if it was a few years down the line, I don't know whether Lost did this later on in, in the later series, but I know Channel 4 used to do a thing where, like, well, if you want to watch the next one, it's on E4 now, but you can watch, you know, wait till yeah, next week. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but it was very much that. I think I got to about Series 2, and then I think I just gave up after that. Yeah, but, I yeah. think I got to the end of Season 3 and similarly gave up. I just got bored of it. Yeah, I can, un- I can understand it, but it's just... It was definitely a labour of love, but Lost itself on the box set um, describes itself as the show that changed television. I mean, it's going it's to talk mm-hmm. itself up, obviously, but to me, it was that. It was a programme that um, gave me the urge to watch something episodically over the space of years. And, you know, I, I, w- I wouldn't have had the interesting things like Game of Thrones, Breaking Bad and all those kind of things if I hadn't had that love for Lost originally. Mm, yeah, that's, that's fair. fair. Yeah. What about yourself, then, Stu? Um, well, since because there was so much wall-to-wall football on for ages, um, Annabelle was relegated to upstairs or watching uh, her nonsense in the other room. So we had a backlog of five weeks worth of Coronation Street. So I've, <laughs> <laughs> I've kind of been pairing through that. Um, but no one, no one cares about how evil Jeff is. Um, but yeah, like Matt, I watched Inception as well for the first time in years, and it is as magical, even though I watch it on a screen at home, it's as magical the second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth time round mm. as it always has been, because it's just, it's almost perfect film for me. Um, and in preparation for Tenet, which I watched this week, which is just, I mean, me and Mark were lucky, we went and the whole, cinema's back, just go, it's fine, you're not going to die. Um, the whole thing is, I can't even talk about it. It's just great. It's just so great. And we there was times, three or four times in the film where we just looked at each other, like, what the hell is going on? <laughs> but you do get a you do get an answer eventually. But it's just, it's Nolan at his absolute best for me. I know it's got it's it's on it's sitting on an eight at the mini on IMDb, and mm. some people will be very confused by, um, but as a, apart from that, there is one thing that I've. Um, I was just looking for some throw away because I've got to season six of Curb now. There's my um, excellent 
watching one or two episodes a week, and I just got to the one where it's uh, where she finally leaves him, and he's talking to <laughs> he's talking to Anna when she finds him on a plane, and he's talking to the TiVo guy instead. Just just genius. Um, but yeah, there's a, a program on Netflix called Selling Sunset, which I've is it's the house property one. Yeah, a house. It's it's one of them programs that's just pure nonsense, and it, it's about four or five women who sell million like tens 20 million dollar houses in hollywood and the um <laughs> it's like you're just shaking your head because of it, it sounds bad but and it mm. probably it probably is really bad but they're the type of women that you expect to see in hollywood who just look like bitches and they all hate they all secretly hate each other you know they do but it's like a kind of it's fly on the wall but it's cutaway interviews as well like proper terry style it's it's complete trash are you, a, um, are you a real Housewives of Ashmore Park kind of guy, Stu? I've, I've never watched any of them because I know what will happen. As soon as I watch one of them, I'm going to get into the whole Real Housewives <laughs> expanding <laughs> universe and I have to watch them all. So I'm just staying away from them. But yeah, after watching this, I, I think I could be drawn into it all. But I, if you want something extremely throwaway to put it on in the background, Selling Sunset, Netflix, three seasons. <laughs> I feel like we might have jumped the shark with that one. <laughs> <laughs> so the second question of the week, that is yours, Matt. So where do we go from, uh, from seven to seven? Really? Um, I want to know uh, your favourite dramatic performance by a generally considered comedic actor. So Dave, as our guest, we'll go with you again. Yeah, this was quite interesting actually so I was kind of trying to think back of of these kind of type of performances so I was thinking of things like um, Steve Carell in Foxcatcher and Adam Sandler in Uncut Gems as well recently but I think I'm going to go with Jim Carrey in um, Eternal Sunshine on the Spotless Mind again great performance it's one of these things with Jim Carrey such a good character actor or he kind of has this kind of character persona about him this jokey persona all the time when you actually see him turn it on like that it's incredible. I was I was tempted to say the the Andy Kaufman one, but obviously it, it's strange with that because he's obviously playing comedic character all the time. But there's elements of him being serious. But yeah, just Jim Carrey and that just kind of proved to me that he didn't just have to do this jokey, pretend to be um, a, a goof all the time. That he can you know turn it on, switch it on, and and, and act seriously as it were. So incredible film. And didn't that come out just after Bruce Almighty as well? If I it was around the same time. Yeah, it just felt like yeah. it was a weird. It felt like a weird tangent for him to go on after Bruce Almighty because he'd been in the shadows and he for many years after uh, before Bruce Almighty. But yeah, incredible with that with Kate Winslet as well. Um, but it's a great film and uh, probably my favourite in that kind of serious to that f- funny to serious role. Yeah, I, I love that film. I mean, funnily enough, that's one of my mentions is Jim Carrey in uh, Eternal Sunshine. It's there's such a sense of world weariness about the whole thing. And it's, it's, I don't want to say it's heartwarming because it's not heartwarming, but it does tug on your heartstrings in parts. And it's, it's quite beautiful and quite destructive, but so well made. Brilliant yeah. film. And I'd also got an honorable mention for Steve Carell in Foxcatcher. Yeah. Uh, but my choice was Robin Williams. I did think Goodwill Hunting, but it did make me laugh a little bit in that. So the one film where he is just purely dramatic is One Hour Photo. 
Oh, yeah. Yeah. Such an intense, borderline psychotic, obsessive performance of uh, a man who works in a one-hour photo store who becomes obsessed with this young family and wants to sort of worm his way into their lives. And it's, like you've you've mentioned um, Uncle Jem's just... The tension in this film is almost to the similar level. Yeah. It really does get the heartbeat going. Brilliant performance. And Robin Williams was someone who, he's such a frenetic character, obviously mostly because he's known for his stand-up. So when he had to go back and have this complete stripped-down, one-tone, very much on a singular level, it was such a, a step away from his norm. Even compared to Goodwill Hunting, where you do get to see both sides of the character, with this there isn't both sides. There is just this obsessive, compulsive, psychotic human being, and it's such a mm. an interesting character performance. Stu, what about you, mate? Uh, you know when, you, when he just steals your thunder, and he's done it. He's done it again. <laughs> but, I did. I did think that one of the one of the that would come up. So I did have a second one, which is um, again. Let's say bending the rules because I never saw this person in a comedic role, but I know that she was a comedian before Ghost, and it's Whoopi Goldberg. Mm. Yeah, good call. Yeah, playing a playing a psychic in a very serious. Well, is it what is it? Is it is it, is it a love film? Is it a sci-fi film? Is it? It's a, a, unclassifiable. It's it's a great film anyway, but she was just... I thought she was excellent in that film, just as... Yeah, and Oscar I, I winner, wasn't she, for that? Yeah. I don't think I'd, I don't think at the time I'd seen her being a comedian before that. So <laughs> it never even crossed my mind. Yeah, I think she did, like, Jumping Jack Flash, and yeah. she had quite a few comedic roles in the, the late 80s, early 90s. I don't see much of Whoopi Goldberg, but whenever she does pop up, she's always excellent. Mm. Yeah. Well, she does a lot of daytime TV now, and she she does the the View, is it? Yeah, she's like, like the, the loose women. Oh, okay. Yeah. Right. Whoopi Goldberg was in the uh, something that was in our classroom for what felt like an eternity. She was in the Color Purple, which is anything but a comedic role, really. Um, it was what we had to we had to study the uh, study the the text in uh, in our school and then go on to watch the film. But that's uh, quite a serious piece um, in relation to kind of the role of kind of women um, and, and race. Um, mm. And it's 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 quite a striking, you know, traumatic film really um, about kind of racism and sexism and that is a real departure for her. It's, it was on on my honourable mentions. Um, you've already mentioned Adam Sandler in Uncut Gems. Um, Adam Sandler, you know, apart from a hand, like, and, and I'm talking a very small handful of films, is, is, is a comedic actor that I don't really enjoy his body of work. Maybe Waterboy. Um, uh, anything else? Like Happy Gilmore, Cliff? maybe. Uh, yeah, it's okay. You know, none <laughs> of these films are ever going to make, like, a, a, many top five lists for me, put it that way. But in Uncut Gems, he he is an absolutely outstanding performance and Andy mentioned about being being tense watching it it's one of those to the point where it makes you feel sick it's done in a way that gives you complete anxiety throughout and that's because of his performance and his frenetic acting and the panic that he puts in um and as soon as something good happens something bad happens and and how he reacts to everything that goes on is, is sensational um a small honorable mention that isn't really a serious role but 
Andy, I don't know how you feel about this, but Simon Pegg in The World's End, whilst it's not a strict, it's a serious, it's not a serious film at all. When you watch it and you actually see how Simon Pegg's character ends up the way he is, mm. when you then re-watch that film, it's actually a really sad watch yeah. watching that character just want to be loved and adored how he used to be and and clinging on to how he was in the past and when you take it out the fact that you're watching a really funny film it's actually quite a sad performance um and i think it doesn't get the credit it deserves or simon Pegg doesn't because of that film being just you know part of the fantastic cornetto trilogy yeah absolutely it's it's a a performance with real depth to it that you don't see on first watching like, as you say, that first watching, you just assume it's a light-hearted comedy sci-fi romp. Mm-hmm. But then when you see that actually it's a man who is struggling to hold on to his reality. I remember taking my wife to see um, that at the cinema. And I remember saying to her, look, you know, it's a comedy film. You really enjoy it. And then when the uh, when that scene happens, when they realise it's all like, is it aliens or robots? I forget which one. <laughs> Bit of both. Bit of Columbia, really. Yeah. yeah. I remember straight away when we came at the film, she was like, I just, I just, I lost it then. I thought I just couldn't be bothered with the film then. I said, what do you mean? He says, well, the first, up until that point, the film is actually, she was like a really, really invested in that film because it was about these group of friends who hadn't seen each other, but they'd obviously gone on different parts of life and how they were coming together and also trying to get over things from being at school. There's that one guy in there who kind of got, runs into the pub with someone who used to bully him. Yeah, he's, yeah. he's mm-hmm. really nervous, but the the guy seems to be fine with him in the end. He's you know all that I really loved, but and that's where I thought the film was going to be. But once the alien started, I was like, right, that's it. I'm done. I'll just sit here and watch the rest. Well, I thought I was interested by that take that actually, like Matt's kind of alluded to there, there is that storyline in it. There is kind of a really nice kind of not coming of age, but kind of a a kind of coming down of age still you know realization it's about how people um struggle with aging and i struggle yeah. with not being uh, or, or not being able to hold on to what you know the, I, I don't want to take this on a really negative tangent but when people say to anybody listening that's still in school when they say it's the best time of your life it really is so <laughs> if, if you're in school you really, if you're in school you really shouldn't be listening to this well that's no true. no <laughs> Well, you've got that restraining order, haven't you, Stu? So. Yeah, on the... <laughs> that's only in the physical space. Oh, OK. <laughs> <laughs> so our third question of this week, that is going to our guest once again. And Dave, if you'd like to ask your question. So I want to know, what's your favourite cameo in a film? Now, this could be either a character that pops up or, uh, well, I'm not looking more of a kind of the actress actor actress but they could be popping up as a character or they could just be themselves so what's your favorite cameo in a film i've gone i've gone for one of each so my favorite cameo where they're playing themselves that would be bill murray in Zombieland. like it's just yes. a whopper of a cameo and i've asked yes. you thunder again <laughs> <laughs> it yeah it's brilliant you you don't expect it i know they mention him a couple of times throughout the film because Woody Harrelson's character is a fan and then they go to his house and he just comes out of nowhere, just completely destroys the fucking camera because he's so funny. And then he's gone in the blink of an eye. It's excellent. And the other one I really like is uh, Christopher Walken's in um, Pulp Fiction. <laughs> so he comes in as Captain Coontz and he explains to the young kid about his 
his father's watch that he smuggled out of Vietnam because his father died in in a, a prisoner of war camp, and he had to smuggle it out up his asshole. And he's just explaining to this small boy about shoving it up his bum, and it it just really tickles me. And it's obviously not a comedy because it's Pulp Fiction for crying out loud. But those are the two that came to my mind. I'm sorry, Stu. Well, it's uh, <laughs> again. I've, we've kind of got used to this now and done a few answers because of this happening all the time. Um, but one that just because it was completely out of the blue, Samuel L. Jackson at the end of Iron Man. Yeah. Yeah. No cool. one. No one, apart from lunatics who appreciate the art, stay till the very end, especially at that time when nothing mm-hmm. came at the end of films. And I don't even know why we did it for that one, but we did. And then that came on, and we hadn't heard about it before. And we didn't know that obviously it was him in it, but it was just a shock. And you think, hang on a minute, this is going to be linked. And then it, it, was, mm. it was just magical for the time. But that and the other one, the other than the one you just stole, um, <laughs> Tom Cruise in Tropic Thunder. Yes, completely. I know it's not really a cameo because he has got a, a kind of decent role in it in the end, but it's just a shock because you don't see him in the, any of the promotional stuff he's not mentioned before and then he's there on his in his kind of throne in the middle <laughs> of the jungle but yeah then when you said the questions then with the, the three that came to mind straight away yeah matt so i've gone for three really um not Really a cameo playing himself, but I just had to throw it in. So, so Dave, I might stole your thunder here. Um, Hulk Hogan as Thunderlips in Rocky Three. Um, <laughs> it's just just because it's just this was before Hulk Hogan was um, the superstar um, kind of babyface at the time, I believe. So it was he was kind of he was kind of getting into that role. And the only reason I enjoy it so much is because whenever I'm like wearing something really garish or a wool shirt or something like that and my wife says to me are you really wearing that my only ever reply is thunder lips in the flesh baby it's just always my, <laughs> always my answer i don't know why because i just find it because thunder lips obviously loves himself so much and so do i in terms of seriousness well not not seriousness actually um lou ferrigno in i love you man um when uh basically paul rudd's character is trying to sell lou ferrigno's palatial estate um, and he's just really funny in it. Um, he there's there's a really funny line where um, is it Jason Siegel? I've got the right guy there. Um, who's yeah. in? Yeah. He's trying to fight um, Lou Ferrigno because he um, and he he just shouts "fuck you, Hulk!" and he's got him in. A, he puts him in a sleeper hold. Um, <laughs> and he's just really he's just a really um, doesn't take himself too seriously. Allows himself to be taken the piss out of a little bit and that's the best kind of cameo really where an actor doesn't take themselves too seriously which is similar to my third choice um which is actually eminem in the interview um <laughs> he comes in this interview uh where essentially he comes out with the fact really flippantly that he's gay oh, and, you yeah. know for for a rapper that is obviously massively been controversial for like homophobic slurs in his in his art um for him to come out with this was just a real kind of it just made me smile massively made me smile he does it so deadpan and then the reaction the really hysterical reaction that the media puts on this and some of like the headlines that they throw up really really quickly um it was just really funny really really made me laugh so yeah eminem in the interview as well was uh, was it was a great cameo for me what about you dave 
So I've gone for two of the same actor, and I've gone for Matt Damon for a couple of different reasons. So <laughs> Matt Damon's cameo in Interstellar, because it was one of those moments when he kind of comes out of the cry chamber. You're like, oh, that's Matt Damon? And he plays such a big role in the film, but it was never advertised whatsoever. Yeah. So that was quite a big shock to see that, you know, that he had a, a good substantial part in the film. And it wasn't kind of made clear that he was in it. The other one is him and Sam Neill's cameo in Thor Ragnarok, uh, where they're reenacting Loki's death from the second film in the kind of little play. Um, And that was, again, a really nice surprise, really fun. Um, I think think Matt Damon is Loki in that, isn't he? And Sam Neill is Odin. But yeah, that was a really nice twist. And that was a typical uh, Wahiti kind of comedic, kind of line and, and use there in that film. But yeah, I love both of those have been a kind of classic kind of cameos that I've loved in recent years. Oh, excellent. Uh, Matt Damon's got a really good cameo in Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. Yeah. Because he's been in a few of those films anyway, but he then appears as himself. Uh, him and Ben Affleck both do. It's really good fun, that is. But um, that's very niche films. They're the, uh, the View Ask Universe ones. So question four, yes, question four, that's mine. What cinematic vehicle would you like to own? I'll let you go now, Stu, because it gives you a chance to try and steal mine. <laughs> well, I don't think you'll have this one on the list. It's got to be the um, the semi-truck that is Optimus Prime. <laughs> definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> At least... It... A multi-purpose vehicle, it'll protect you and you're never going to come to any harm. What more do you need? Obviously, that or the um, the DB5 slash DB7 Bond car, Aston Martin, mm. just because it's so fucking cool. You, <laughs> you don't... Both of them choices, I know you, you definitely would not have had. Um, no, it's very true. But yeah, I've had multiple versions of the Bond car, the toys, over the years. And have I got one? No, it's, it's not to hand, but... I, I've got. I've still got one. It's in its little box, and yeah, I just I love Bond films and I love that car and I always have done. So that's my real answer. Yeah, I mean the DB7 is like the quintessential Bond car for me. I, when I think of Bond, that would be the car I would imagine, and it is a stunner. So yeah, good choice, Matt. Tough one, this real tough one. And basically, I didn't want to go really obvious, and we probably have all done that, and we're probably going to miss out some of like the massive big hitters. Um, <laughs> But for the sake of diversity, as I like to do, uh, first of all, this is a this is not for any um, any Americans or South Africans or anybody that's listening to this podcast. Um, and we seem to be acquiring some niche countries, which is excellent. Um, <laughs> do you remember? Do you remember the show Brum? <laughs> oh, no. The little the little car that oh, would for basically. Oh, sake! Oh, come on, Andy. I have you no idea Brum? what you're talking about. Oh. Okay, can we can we can we like somehow splice some Brum footage in yes, or audio can. in? Uh, basically, it was it was a little car that lived in this workshop. That when the guy who owned the workshop went to bed, he he came to life and got up to all sorts of chicanery. Um, and I just want to own it to be able to run me uh, errands, basically. Um, <laughs> you know, need milk, send Brum. Why not? A <laughs> bit. It's going to be available somewhere, Matt. You can easily oh, buy that as a remote control car, surely. Do you reckon so? Do you reckon? I'm sure you can. I'd also really like um, a Mini from the original Italian job. 
um, yeah. purely because uh, it's the only car a man of my size can afford. That's my second Simpsons reference of the night. But no, it's um, it's just it's an iconic car for for what is an iconic film for me. Um, and I was really offended by the remake of the Italian Job. Um, so yeah, I'd, I'd like I'd like that, and it would be quite small maintenance and would fit in the garage. So I would have to worry about it getting stolen. The the one thing have you seen um, Hobbs and Shaw? The oh, I have not. Fast and Furious. So when they go into Jason Statham's. Um, his garage there is a a mini in there and they ask him about the mini he said oh that's about some job i did in italy oh really that's quite so a nice touch i popped for that yeah not gonna lie <laughs> <laughs> dave what about yourself uh yeah i was wary like matt said to to not do the cliche ones but i had to be a bit cliche i'm afraid uh the tumbler from oh, the batman outrageous. you know the Nolan batman films it's so good it's a car and a tank and you just want to be cruising down the road in that crushing other people's cars, don't you, really? It's just it's it's just beautiful. It's amazing. Um, and I want it now. I'll <laughs> sell everything just to get that tumbler. There's a great video uh, for a few years ago where we have, um, you know, people dressing up as superheroes going to, to, to hospitals to see kids. And there's one guy who dresses as Batman who actually, don't know how he does it, whether he gets it for Warner Brothers, but he actually... You know, rocks up in the tumbler, and I was watching. You go, oh, I'm so jealous of that guy right now. I want that tumbler. But yeah, I know there's like the DeLorean as well from Back to the Future, obviously, which would be great to have. But I think the doors would annoy me too much that they go up. Mm. You couldn't be in a low-level car park, could you, with that? No. Or in a garage, you know, just be impossible. You know, have to, you know, you want these cars, but you have to be practical at the same time. It's like these people who had the cars on Pit My Ride with all the accessories, and you just think, no one's getting that insured, are they? That's <laughs> never been insured in many years. No, absolutely um, not. But, you know, I could park the tumbler on my... I'm sure, I could just about park the tumbler on my drive, so I'd go for that. And to be fair, if you had the tumbler, you could probably live in it anyway. Yeah. You wouldn't need a house, you'd be and fine. And also, it comes with a bike in it, so... Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like the, you know that that modern trend now of taking a caravan, but a little car. You could take yeah. the tumbler on holiday, but on yep. you go on your short drives on on your bike. It's a great choice. It's another park. practical car. Yeah, park the bike at the Clare Gate, you'll be fine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so for my choices, I went for uh, Books Pussy Wagon from Kill Bill, obviously, <laughs> <laughs> and I really want Bill and Ted's telephone box. Because oh, well, let's be honest, if you're going to go about the place, what better than a telephone box? You can park anywhere you want, any time you want. Yeah. It's perfect. Vehicles so, yeah, have to have wheels. Too. Vehicles have to have wheels. Can't <laughs> have a vehicle. It's they, they to can do. travel through t- time and space. Cheating. On the interstellar yeah. highway. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> to be fair, I, I quite like the new Batmobile. I don't know if you gents have seen it yet. Yeah, that looks car. decent, actually, yeah. Yeah, I'm normally not a big fan of muscle cars generally. They look very, very American, and that's not my style. But I do think that looks quite sleek and pretty cool. So, yeah. Can, can I apologise? I know you might have had this conversation before, but although I liked the new Batman trailer, I think I've got to be convinced by Raw Pats as Batman. No, he'll be awesome. Pattinson's yeah. a very good actor. Yeah. Oh, he's Mass- very good. I don't know. He, he looks a bit too Nightwing in it. I can yeah. see what you mean by have you so, watched also, um, Have you watched The Lighthouse, Dave? Not yet. I've heard it's batshit crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you watch him in that, and then 
any kind of worry you have about him doing an excellent job and doing exactly what's asked of him. Yeah, it's yeah. I, I was trying to. I was talking to a few my uh, brother-in-law about it earlier, trying to get him to watch it, and I said, "Yeah, you, you can't even switch off for a minute with that film. It's just, it's just madness." But both of them are excellent, isn't he? Mm. Okay. And it's I'll really it good in. Um, there's a film called Good Time, which is by the same guys who did Uncut Gems, and again, it's another heart racing film. He's absolutely brilliant in it. So yeah, Good Time, check that out too. And if then he's not, I need to go see Tinet. So if he's good in that, then I'll yeah, yeah. he's sold. He's got a very posh accent in that as well, which is weird. Can I throw a bonus question out there, vehicular related? Sure. Uh, what was your favourite Wacky Races vehicle? Because uh, that nearly made my list, but then I thought, if I'm going Brum, I can't go Wacky Races as well. <laughs> so I went, I, I went, well, yeah, I mean, I, I went um, for the Ant Hill Mob car the, um, <laughs> that has all of the mobsters in it, because um, I thought it was just, uh, I, I absolutely love that classic mob car that you're going to go whack a guy <laughs> well yeah that was that would have been my favorite well, there's loads there's loads to pick from to be fair i used to love wacky races as well no, not so much a fan of um was it catch catch the pigeon yeah mm. fan of that but... yeah i've had to google it because i don't really remember much about oh. it to be honest um i think i'd probably go for the mean machine though because that does look quite awesome that's the dick dastardly and yeah. Lee car yeah I'd, I'd go for that one so well, the um there was an excellent game as well it was PS2 era, you know, like a cart racer version of the Wacky Races, which was surprisingly good. I don't hmm. remember that. Yeah, it was it was all cell shaded as well. You know where when they went through that period of time where everything was cell shaded. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like Jet Set Radio, and it, it was it was like that. It was really good. Excellent. I remember the like one of the first cell shaded games. Did you ever play Thirteen? Yes, they're remaking okay. that. Are they? Yeah, it's well, it's going to be. It's the same game. It's like a yeah, remaster. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it should be out, but it should be out soon. Oh man, I loved that game. That was that was like the precursor for Borderlands, wasn't it? Yeah, In kind of that that style. And they've got Duchovny back to do extra voice as well. There we go. There we go. No, I've not even heard of that one. But if he's got a, David it, Duchovny in there, I'm in. Well, you're not because it's a first-person game and you'll die. Oh, it'll make me sick. That's not good. <laughs> That's not good. <laughs> So question five, then, that'll be yourself, Stuart. Yeah, mine was just which critically acclaimed film do you really not get or downright hate? (laughs) So I'll go back to you, Andy, for that one first. I don't know if it's critically acclaimed, but my film currently sits on 9.2 on IMDb and is in the number one position of the top 250 films. Shawshank Redemption. Oh, like, come on now. It's fine. Is that really the greatest film that's ever been made, though? Like, it, it's well acted, it's well shot, it's well written. There is nothing exceptional about that movie. It's just okay. But... Like, like I say, it's top of the uh, top 250 on IMDb. But when you look at any time any magazine, any proper film magazine does a top 100 films, it's never in the top place because it's not really that good. It's just probably the least hateable of all the films. 
Like, it's good at a lot of things, but it's great at nothing. And that's why you just, I can't chime with it at all. Yeah, I, I dare that. say, <laughs> I dare say to drop the bombshell that I've never seen it. You're not but missing a lot. It's, it's, a point. it's to a point where, because everybody goes on about how great yeah, you're not gonna I'm just not bothered to see it now. Yeah, you. It's 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 going to be one of them. Like missing out. It's going to be one of them things now where it's on such a high pedestal that you you kind of like forced to like it. Mm, Whereas, yeah. when I watch it, I mean, I've only seen it a handful of times, and I don't. I'm, it's never in any of mine, but I can see why it is. But at the same, I can't see where you. <laughs> why anyone would kind of like say it's average because it is. It's really, really, really good. But it's, it's fine. That that's the thing. It's just fine. That's so. This is why I'm thinking that enough. Why New Mutants might be the best film ever made. <laughs> 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 we should just discard your points of view from now on. Yeah. Um, but no, I can see. I can see why. But again, you're never going to get that kind of enjoyment because of it being number one in every list. So, yeah, you, you can't blame anyone for not watching it at this point. Mm. No, I get yeah. <clears throat> Matt, what what's your uh, well, critically I, acclaimed dislike? I wish you didn't use the word hate because this might be uh, this might end up making the headlines for all the wrong reasons, as they say. Because here's the headline: Matt Guy hates the Holocaust. <laughs> because <laughs> because Schind, uh, Schindler's List for me. Um, Schindler's List for me. How do I put this? In the same way that the Green Book didn't tackle its issues with enough ferocity and it was it was it didn't tackle it didn't pull at the heartstrings enough or it didn't highlight its issues enough to make me feel uncomfortable watching it the same thing i feel about shinder's list i don't think it's obviously its subject matter is horrendous nobody's debating that but i just didn't think shinder's list did enough for me to really show the horror of what of uh, uh, because it, I don't know if it's, maybe it's the way Spielberg put it together, it just doesn't grab me like other um, concentration camps and and like the Holocaust films do. Um, I dare say like The Pianist does more for me than Schindler's List does. Right, I don't know. And I, I've been to Auschwitz. Uh, was it this year? The, the start of this year, and and you know, been to the place and felt that aura and 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 seeing the place as it is now and it just it just doesn't grab me shinder's list i don't i don't know why it just it's just one of those things for me i I just feel like it's it's too hollywood is that the word i'm not sure it is but Mm. it just doesn't grab me on that emotional level that other films do um and to take another one to take in a completely other direction sorry andy if you could punch me through the screen you would um Wayne's World. I just don't get it. <gasps> Sorry. Oh, God. Sorry. If I'm going to watch a film like, if I'm going to watch that, I'm watching Bill and Ted, basically. Um, or oh, yeah, I'm watching, Bill and Ted is better. Or I'm watching, Spinal, I'm watching Spinal Tap. Like, I, I just, it just doesn't, you know, I, I'm just not a massive, um, I'm just not a massive fan. You know what I think it was as well? I think it's, sorry to do this two podcasts in a row. I think it just escaped me time-wise, like chronologically. I think it was just that little bit ahead of my yeah. time um, that, that Bill and Ted, for whatever reason, I, I did catch. Um, and I just enjoy that a lot more. But hey, 
that's why we're asking the big questions in film, isn't it? I think the um, the thing oh. with let's say with Schindler's, Schindler's List as well, it, it's going to be very much a case of it was a from when it was released because it's not going to have the same impact now. Absolutely no mm. way. Because I think you try and show that to someone again who hasn't seen it, who doesn't, if you can find someone in the world who doesn't know what it is. Well, maybe Blake. <laughs> um, but it wouldn't have the same impact because films changed a lot since then, mm-hmm. an awful lot. So you, you've got a kind of point. Thank you, Stu. I appreciate what, you. Uh... Well, what Wayne's, world's, <laughs> Wayne's world's unforgivable. Unforgivable. That's, that's, and there's me, there's me saying a Holocaust film. <laughs> well, you can take the Holocaust. Okay, <laughs> that's the same bite. <laughs> Dave, what's your choice? Uh, so I'm a massive Christopher Nolan fan of his films. I don't think there's a film really that I would disapprove or not like. I've been everything he's done has been big hitters, but the one film that I do think. I just couldn't chime with, and it's not the obvious one, of course. It's Dunkirk. Mm. Now, I don't know whether that's very unpatriotic to, to say that, because I remember going into this film, all the reviews were like, this is one of the greatest films you're going to see. It's a masterpiece. So I was really pumped, especially that I've always been interested interested about World War Two and that it's known and combined. I was interested to see how Harry Styles would have got on as well. I was very confused mm. by that casting, although I do think Harry Styles is, is actually okay. fine. I think he carries himself off quite well, but I just I never got the intensity that I think was trying to be shown in an Nolan film. I never really got scared or clenching my seat when certain bits are happening, and the whole Tom Hardy bit in the dogfight bit it just seemed very easy sailing for him. Even when he landed the plane when he was when he was um, running out of fuel. It was just too easy for him to land on the beach. And I just remember thinking, shouldn't that have been a lot more difficult? Isn't that the whole point of this film? It's trying to show how how close the lines were between life and death and to try and rescue these people. It never really felt as uplifting as I thought it was going to be. Uh, so I kind of came out to thinking, yeah, it was, it was fine, but it wasn't this... I was a bit disappointed. It wasn't this masterpiece that people were making out um, yeah, I think the, the, as then the one thing that came out of it, I just thought, yeah, Harry Styles did all right, didn't he? So yeah, D- Dunkirk is fine. Yeah, I think the same. Yeah, I I, I can't argue with that. I, uh, same issue. I love Christopher Nolan, but I don't particularly care for war films anyway. So that didn't really work for me. It, it was good, but it wasn't. Mm. It, it wasn't really what I'd hoped for from a Christopher Nolan film. Whereas for me, me and Mark both. Again, we didn't even speak to each other in the entire time we walked out the cinema back to the car. Everyone was, the whole screening was full. No one said a single word. You could hear a penny drop throughout the whole thing. It was like, and I know everyone else has had vastly different experiences. Maybe we were in a kind of uh, echo chamber of the whole rah rah Britain kind of thing, but mm. which is, I'm, I fully subscribe to, obviously. Um, but yeah, I, I do love war films and I, the whole, kind of the whole premise of the film and the fact that it was there was no real script which is mad absolute mm. madness um but yeah i loved it but I, I know why if you're not in that kind of that kind of bubble that it's not going to be for you so that, that's fully understandable mm. at the same time i would say that 1917 was better oh, that was a film i did enjoy i thought that was a really good movie yeah it, it was really good 
But I th- I'll put them. Mm, they're, they're similar but very different to each other. So I'll, I wouldn't put one above yeah. the other. Yeah, they're both. They're just both just very good. because they're in a similar genre yeah. of that, you know, war films. Yeah. So what was your answer then? I think... oh, go on, Dave. Now, I was going to say with Nolan, with, with Dunkirk, if it hasn't got some form of time travel in it, then it doesn't really matter, does it? You know, most of his films, apart from the Batman films, have got some form of time travel. I, I felt like kind of shouting at Tom Hardy going, it's, you're, you're in, it's a dream, you've incepted, <laughs> use your, your little thing to realise. But yeah. Maybe maybe it was Harry Styles' dream. Mm. Maybe that's what we're missing. <laughs> well, they're trying to incept into putting the idea of breaking at one direction. Yeah, exactly. So it's just tell Zane within a film. Tell Zane it's not going to work. Exception um, sequel. <laughs> <laughs> mine was um, because mainly because of Union. What, what they're making us watch this nonsense over and over again, which was a film in 1971 called The Last Picture Show. Mm. Yeah, which is exactly. Yeah, and a film made in the 70s, based in 1951. And you look at it, Jeff Bridges, Sybil Shepherd, Ben Johnson, and the cast is there, and it should be Randy Quaid. It's just really, really shit. It's boring. <laughs> I'm not gonna, I'm, I can feel next channeling into me again. Um, but it, it, I'm, we watched it at the lighthouse as well because it was on assignments, and three, the, all three times I fell asleep. <laughs> I know it's. it's well, what, what's even on an IMDb because it's it's on an eight. I think I was going to say that's in the top two fifty, isn't it? If I remember yeah. correctly, it's one of it's it's classic Oscar bait kind of nonsense where mm. it's in black and white. Why? And it's it's supposed to be a coming of age thing in the fifties, but you couldn't be any more bored. Mm. I just I just hate it. I just yeah. I got, I've tr- I've tr- even tried it, like Matt said just about. Watching it when we've said it before about watching things at the wrong age at the wrong time, and I've tried when I've when I've been pissed to watch it doesn't work. Oh. I've tried <laughs> I've tried when I'm all calm in the middle of the day doesn't work, and I've just given up now. I'm, I just know I'm never going to watch it properly. Now I, I fully endorse your answer there. I, like I listened to a podcast where they've done the top 100, the AFI 100, the American Film Institute, and they were raving about it. And I thought this is the dullest film I've seen. And I can't remember, I've heard a podcast only a couple of weeks ago and they were talking about how great and what a, a emotion, a emotional ride this film is. Like, it really wasn't. It just sort of ticks along. It's bland as shit. I completely agree. <laughs> really, really And bad. you're trying to keep the peace between fellow podcasts and not say what it is. It was this one. I can't remember. <laughs> I honestly can't remember. Give it one star. <laughs> Right, so that is us done for this week. Next week, it's going to be a picture pod once again. And we're going right the way back to my birth year, funnily enough, 1983. We're going to be watching Nick's first ever starring role, Valley Girl. And then we're bringing it right back to today, when we're going to see Cage's latest film, which is a film called Grand Isle. I have no idea what either of these two films are going to be about. I am really looking forward to them, obviously. So we hope you can watch and join in in the uh, next week's Picture Pod film. Dave, have you enjoyed your stint on the podcast this evening? 
Yeah, it's been great. I've loved talking about moving pictures for once. So, uh, yeah, I've really enjoyed it. Thank you very much for having me on. Yeah, not a problem. You're welcome back anytime, mate. It's been great. So for this week, Dave, would you like to say goodbye? Goodbye. Matt, would you like to say goodbye? Take it easy, guys. Stay safe. And Stu, would you like to say goodbye? Wakanda forever. And it's goodbye from me. And remember, be excellent to each other. This watch is on your daddy's wrist when they were shot down on that Hanoi. It was captured from the Vietnamese prison camp. He knew that if the gooks ever saw the watch, it would be confiscated, taken away. The way your dad looked at it, this watch was your birthright. You'd be damned if any slope's gonna put the greasy yellow hands on his boy's birthright, so he hid it. In one place he knew he could hide something, his ass. Five long years he wore this watch, up his ass. Then he died of dysentery, he'd give me the watch. I hid this uncomfortable hunk of metal up my ass two years. Then, after seven years, I was sent home to my family. And now, little man, I give the watch to you. <laughs>